What's up, guys? Welcome to this week's episode of Nurse Speak. I am your host, EB. And for this week's episode, we're going to have a two-part episode. We asked you guys to send us stories of your biggest mistakes at work. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And a lot of times, the mistakes we make have more to do with the systems in place than you being stupid, which is what it always feels like. When you make a mistake, you feel like an idiot. But before we get into the stories, just a few reminders as always. In a couple of weeks, we have a new website coming out. It'll be the same URL, but with a whole new look. Um, we will be updating the merch store, um, putting some new features in there, a forum, and a few other things. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I will be posting updates about that on social media on the Nurse Life RM page. And if you enjoy this podcast and you would like to support us and see us keep going, the best way to do that at this point is by buying merch. Making so many new things. So many new things coming. So make sure you just keep an eye on the store and we love you thanks for sending us your stories we enjoy reading them we can't do it without you honestly i don't think i could have a better audience yeah we appreciate you guys but without further ado here are some stories of people's worst mistakes at bedside hey my name is art i've been a critical care nurse for 16 years but i'm still a millennial you know you can look that up in wikipedia I just made the cutoff, so we're good. I work in a hospital in Greater Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Woody. I am a surgical nurse in Northern California. And as always, Emily is here. Hi. <laughs> so don't be alarmed if you hear her chiming in and correcting. Alarmed? I'm not scary. <laughs> I think you're a little scary. But let's get into it. Story number one. When I was a newbie nurse... Some 10 years ago, I worked in an acute care facility for the elderly. Pretty much what you'd expect. Pneumonia, UTIs, and dementia for days. So not surprising, I'm getting a typical Nana from the ED, 94 years old, UTI confusion. I get her all settled for bed. She's got one med and cannot for the life of me remember what it was, but it was something like a torvastatin. Unclear if it was the med or her time, but she becomes unresponsive. No pulse. I thought I remembered her being DNR, but she's a full code in Epic, and I have her chart right in front of me. No durable DNR. So I call a code, and I'm literally heartbroken because A, it's my first code, and B, I can feel her tiny ribs breaking as I do compressions. The attending rushes into the room and goes, what are you doing? Stop. I immediately start crying, and so now I'm the annoying nurse that hunts down people to make sure they update the code status in Epic. I never want to go through that again. Aww. Yeah, basically the code status wasn't updated and she was actually DNR and she started doing compressions on her. That's not her fault though, because she didn't see that DNR. Yeah. That's her that's her first code. I mean it was it happens, but that's extra traumatizing because that's her first time her her patient coded and then you're just wired to help somebody with your whole like nursing education, but it's really really difficult to do that. Yeah, and just in that moment, if you're unsure, you're always going to go with starting CPR or, you know what I mean? Like, if you're not sure, that's what you're always going to do. Yeah. yeah. So then to have the doctor come in and be like, what are you doing? Oh, gosh, I I've never been in a code before, so I don't know what I would do in that situation. I've been fortunate enough um, because I'm in an ambulatory surgery center. So it's all outpatient, all healthy patients. So never have I ever done chest compressions. And if that were to happen, I think I would just. I don't know what I would do. I'd probably just freeze until someone would like push me to 
do compressions. You're like, okay. Don't worry. You're not, you're not missing out. It's not a good experience. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where her, the girl's like, or I don't know, girl or guy, whoever wrote this, her biggest holdback is like, she knows that she was like putting her through unnecessary pain. And so that's why you immediately break out in tears, which is relatable. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next story. In nursing school, during my ER rotation, I was in a trauma bay and I volunteered to help move a patient up to the ICU who was intubated and on pressors. He was literally on his deathbed. As about five to six of us transferred the patient, I was pushing the IV pole with all the pressors. I got stuck behind an RT who was bagging the patient as we went through a narrow doorway. The poor man's IV came out. Of course, everyone began yelling at me for allowing this to happen. I kept replaying the scenario in my head, and I knew I should have spoken up when I felt I was falling behind, but I didn't because I was intimidated and afraid to speak up. Now, as an experienced nurse, I realized that I would never have given that task of pushing the pump with the pressors to a student, and I know that the IV is my responsibility. It was so scary to think that this man could have died because of me. The IV was immediately restarted once we arrived in the ICU, but it's an experience I will never forget. I am definitely not afraid to speak up and question things thanks to this experience. That is, uh, that's my worst nightmare right there. Like transporting someone on pressers, especially if the elevator, like the, the crack in the elevator, the IV pole just bends. Yeah. I, I never heard of anybody that happened to, but I always picture that every time I go and I feel so bad for this person. But yeah, she's right. Why is the nursing student <laughs> holding on to the IV pole of pressers and the critical care drug? The most important piece of equipment that you're moving besides like maybe the vet yeah exactly well they're bagging him though so yeah i wouldn't have given that job to a nursing student <laughs> that's really bad i bet writing this too probably felt like validating to be like <laughs> yeah a, a lot of these stories too you see that like when people write in it's very much to be like uh this happened to me and i know it wasn't my fault yeah, yeah but her takeaway was good of being like okay there's moments when you feel like you should say something, but you don't because of whatever hesitation you have and to let that hesitation go and to speak up because that, yeah. that's a good takeaway because it's a traumatic situation that she didn't need to go through. And definitely. And for them to all blame her is just <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just doing what I was told. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and as a student, I never spoke. I never spoke up. I should have like, I was so intimidated by everybody. And I was like, I could get, I could like, you know, get our clinical rotation kicked out of it. And so that's like, I mean, as a nursing student, you just do what you're told because you're so intimidated to speak up. You think that you're always going to be wrong for speaking up. But I mean, once you become a nurse, you learn to speak up when you're not comfortable. And that's always more advantageous than not speaking up. So I think once you're a nurse, you become a lot stronger. I think that's the main lesson between okay. transitioning from student to like experienced nurse to like it's just having that sense of like, no, I'm going to say something. Yeah. Even with doctors, I can't tell you how many times as a new grad, like a doctor would tell me something. I'm, I'd be kind of like, I'm not sure that's correct. Thank God I'd have like someone on the unit that I could like talk to. But if you don't, a lot of people just do what they're told. Yeah. It took me five years to be really comfortable with doctors and charge nurses and everything like I get surprised when new grads come out and they're so like confident and they're so like <laughs> they speak their minds I'm, I'm happy for the generation actually because I was like okay preceptive like all right don't talk you know like the old school way I know I'm old oh my god I'm showing my age so. okay. <laughs> <laughs> nah man I think you're right though because even I remember like when I first started which I think like I've been a nurse like nine years now and it was the same like I just think 
there's a clear generational divide that like we're seeing more clearly now. Cause yeah, I mean, the students I've had in recent years, they've been way more comfortable than I ever was at clinical. And I, I think that's a good thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, I also think part of that too, is the whole culture of like eating your youngest, hopefully starting to die down. Like I, I, compared to like when I first started the fear I had of some of the nurses on the floor, like chewing me out. Like, I don't know that many nurses who are still like that. Oh. It's totally chill. Like I, I worked with those people that get their young and they're all re- kind of retired now. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. They're all retired now. And all that, so. A little better. Yeah. All right. Next story. My worst mistake was a meta error. I was a pretty fresh new grad off orientation, getting my first DKA in the PICU. The patient was young and seemed pretty okay for their lab values. When we get a new onset DKA, they typically order fluids ahead of the patient's arrival, so I already had them set up before they arrived. The charge nurse hooked up the patient, and I got busy with sugar checks and labs. When I went to check on another patient and heard my pump alarming, I went back to see what it was. It was air in the line, and I saw the insulin bag was completely dry. My heart sank, yeah, (laughs) everyone's worst nightmare. My heart sank to the floor, and I nearly threw up. I stopped the pump and called the charge nurse. It basically became a code. That pick placement, Q5 sugar checks, the works. But by some crazy miracle, the patient was completely fine. The blood sugar never dropped below 200. They actually sent a sample from the tubing to ensure that it was really insulin in the bag. No one could figure out why the sugar never dropped. Mm. But it was probably the only reason why I can talk about it now. In the moment before I knew the patient was going to be okay, I wanted to die. I've never been so stressed, sad, anxious, and distraught in my life. The kid was so little, I don't know what I would have done if the kid had been negatively impacted by my dumb mistake. Turns out the tubing of my insulin and NS fluid were twisted and they were running at opposite rates. The pump looked correct, but if any of us had traced the tubing back to the bag, we would have caught it. Now, of course, my practice has forever been changed and I will never not trace my lines. In the safety committee meeting, after my mistake, they asked me to discuss what happened openly and often with my colleagues. They said that it's one thing for them to send out an email stating that these things can happen. It's another to hear someone say it happened to me. My unit was so amazing after the mistake. Everyone came up to me to tell me their biggest fuck ups. It did help to hear basically everyone has had a story like this that affected them in their practice. I hope that this story also helps others too. Wait, so with the lines just twisted and it was insulin that went in? So many of the stories that we got were IV line related. Mm. So, the, so the, the insulin bag was hooked up to the NS channel? From what it sounds like, what she thought was NS was actually insulin. And they basically bolus the whole bag of insulin into this kid. She's lucky, yeah, the patient didn't um, pass through. But I feel for her I'm going through that. Like, there's only like a couple of feelings that I would feel like that. Like after a car accident and then after like a near miss when your heart's pumping and then you just Feel, you get all sweaty. You get all sweaty because that could be like a, a sentinel event and then the unit's morale goes down and then everything. But I feel for her that um, I'm just super happy that her patient came out all right. And, yeah. yeah. I'm not blaming her at all. Yeah, that could have happened to me. Like seriously, it could happen to me if I got that patient's transfer to me and I didn't check my line. Yeah. I, don't, I don't deal with IV meds a lot. So I don't have too much to add in on that, but I have made a med mistake before, but then I caught it before it even went into the patient. Yeah. Mixing antibiotics for irrigation for the surgical field. I realized that they were allergic to it and I completely forgot 
and uh, we removed it from the surgical field before it was even irrigated into the patient, like in the abdomen. So yeah, we've all made mistakes, but I'm glad that the machine beat and she was able to look at it and assess the situation, find out that it was insulin that was pumped in and got the help that she needed. And kudos to her for telling the charge right away. Like, hey, she owned up and then got everything involved and got all the checks and all the medical team involved too. So leading up to this, I, I did a poll on uh, the Nurse Life RM page, basically asking how many of you have made a med error or a mistake at work. And like, I think it was like 90% of people said they had. And then the very next slide was like, how many of you reported it? <laughs> you see those numbers drop. What, what was the numbers? It said 71% said I did and 29% said I did not. Yeah. 71% said they reported it. They did report it, and that was 26,442. And then people who did not was 29%, which came in at 10,859 people who did not report it. Wow, Woody. Would you like to... I know. But even with the reporting numbers, I think seeing the first question and then seeing the next question immediately after, I bet there were some people tempted to be like, oh, yes, I reported who didn't. Because I feel like I've caught people's errors that I know they knew about, <laughs> that they never said anything. No, a lot of the messages I got that like followed it up were like people being like, well, I reported it if it was something that I thought mattered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my Which... God. I don't want to incriminate myself. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yes, I would report if I had. I haven't had medication ever. I write, you know, from it. Just kidding. I've never, I, but I've made a lot of mistakes. But then, um, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to that later. No, nah, man, no one's putting you on the spot. You don't have to say anything. No, say it. <laughs> Go on. Okay. I, I know, I remember my first mistake and I remember how I reacted to it. When I think about it, I was so green at the time. Basically, it was my first month after new grad training in the critical care. I left the tube feeding on for my patient that could have a procedure. Oh. And then my charger was caught that during report, like at 5 a.m. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to have a procedure at 8. I left it on. It got delayed till 12. Yeah. Right? But then I was nice, and the charger at days was a, was a guy who I kind of like, I wanted uh, to impress him so he could get me in day shift because I wanted day shift. <laughs> right? Yeah. So he goes up to me and says, Art, attention to detail, Art. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, right? Yeah. So I'm driving home and I'm thinking like, I pull over to like Del Taco. I was working the <laughs> West Side. So I was going down Lincoln. I know you live in the West Side. But then I was going down Lincoln with Del Taco. And I called him back. I called the unit. I said, try to talk to Raul. And then, and then he says, yeah, all right. I was like, it won't happen again, Raul. And then he's like, what? I was like, the mistake, it won't happen again. I promise. And he said, Art, go home. Good night. I was, and then he hanged up the phone and I was like, why did I call him? And I was like, so devastated. Like, cause I wanted to like, yeah, man. I don't know. I felt like I wanted to make up for it, but whatever. No, that is such a new grad feeling. I felt the same way. Like I've called the unit back. Can't remember what it was, but I think I went home and I forgot to tell the nurse and report something minor. I got home and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I called them back to tell them like some like ridiculous INOs that didn't matter for anything. And they're just like, why are you calling me? Wait, so EB, have you made a mistake before? Yeah, you know, and I'm sure there are other ones that like I don't remember. But the one that I remember that like wasn't that big of a deal, but I just remember being super embarrassed was uh, it was my first year. And uh, the hospital I was at, I think, I don't know if we had completely converted to electronic charts or I think we we're still like half paper, half electronic or something like that. But we did a lot of like gastric surgeries. 
But I remember this particular patient, I hung antibiotics that was the right medication, but it was for a different patient. It was like Zosin, but this patient had been walking around with it and noticed that the name on the IV pole wasn't hers. Like I had gone home, I think I was on nights and I must have hung it in the morning before leaving. But when I came back to work, like everyone in the unit like knew about it. And like the nurse who told me was super like sweet about it. She was like, hey, by the way. And then like I heard a couple of people talking about it and I just felt like a freaking idiot. It was the right medication, but a big thing when you're new is like you don't want your coworkers to think you're like incompetent, right? Exactly. Yeah. You obsess over that feeling. And for me, like I just got dropped down the like amplifies like when you hear other people talking, even if it's not about you, you just feel like, oh my God, everyone knows they're all talking about what I did. And like they might be, but I don't know. And whenever I get that feeling, my my body's first reaction is I start like sweating. <laughs> like and so immediately I was just like like dripping sweat like that key and peel sketch where he's like and that's how i started my shift and i i remember the whole shift i thought about it the whole time oh yeah when the whispers happen and like oh is everybody talking about me and code it knocks you down a post but yeah but just just let everybody know that was paper charting you you had right <laughs> the mar all right i'm a little the <laughs> mar no, yeah, yeah, i'm showing my age, I'm showing <laughs> my age. <But> paper charting <laughs> Listen, listen, I was in Ohio, though. Ohio is just like already like 10 years behind. So, yeah, yeah. But I, I remember with paper charting, you circle and you put your initial. There's no barcoding yeah. to, to, you know, give you a like as a as a backup. Right now, the EMR with the, with the barcoding is so much better for meta. Whenever people talk about like, oh, I don't scan my meds now. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I no. feel so safe scanning Medicaid. Like, I love it. I have to scan everything. Yeah. Like, I've never I, had I've never had that chance to scan because we're still paper charting and oh my god. Yeah, I know, yeah, I you know. Are, you are. I'm thinking about that too. Everything that we pull out when it comes to surgeries and anesthesiologists needing like narcotics and propofol, it's all paper charting. We have to write down their name, what we're pulling out, how much we're said, fentanyl, demerol, all of that stuff. That is like scary. <laughs> terrifying. Wait, is your charting a yellow paper also, like the anesthesia paper? Because I can't read that. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, you're when talking about like from, the carbon? When, when they come from OR and then the anesthesia writes all that stuff, like, oh my God, how do you read all this? Yeah. We have so much paperwork. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, I wish we can have that little gun to scan because that'd be that'd be fun. It's amazing. It's, it is amazing. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So and then when something is wrong and it pops up on the screen it's with like a, a red, red thing, and you're yeah. just like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Epic. You're saving my license. Yeah. That saved me a lot. Like it should be one and a half pills for the two pills with like all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the patient never knows. Like you're right next to him being like, I almost just gave you the wrong medication. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next story. I started off as a new grad in ICU and had gotten my first PCI patient. They didn't give the full thrombotic dose because they saw on her CT that she had a small bleed. So I was doing neurochecks and the doc told me that if anything changes, then to order a stat CT. So she started to become more confused, but I was able to reorient her. She would talk about how she wanted to go home and pay some bills and was coherent. However, within minutes, she started to become more confused. My neighbors told me, hey, she doesn't sound too good, but I just blew it off because I thought she was still coherent. Pupils were still the same and everything. But then she stopped talking and I freaked out. I looked at her and tried to make her react. So I called my neighbor to come in. I checked for a pulse, but then she stopped breathing and I yelled out for help. The strange part was that only half her face was turning blue, like only half the left side of her face. Sadly, she didn't make it and it was my first code blue experience. 
I called the doc to let her know what happened, and lo and behold, that I get a mouthful from her. Shouldn't it be earful? Never mind. She that's, gave me a mouthful. <laughs> <that's>, Wait, uh, <laughs> it's earful. That's <laughs> scratch that part. It was bad enough that this happened to me, but the doc decided to say this in front of everyone. I told you to get a CT scan if anything changes, but you stood there and you watched her die. You let her die. I tried my best not to cry right there and then, but damn, that hurt and still hurts. My colleagues tried to make me feel better by saying there's nothing you could have done. She would have coded in the CT scanner. To this day, I have not seen this happen. And I learned that with any neuro change, just call the doc and if they play it off, then chart it as so. This is why I hate neuropatients because by the time you get the CT results, it may be too late. Stick me with cardiac patients because at least then I can act fast and do an intervention. She was a new grad. So she's going to learn from that mistake and pay attention a lot more next time. Yeah. That's a hard one. Yeah. I agree. That's an assessment kind of error, but it's not really like a negligent. There's such a gray area with neuro. Like yeah. I feel for her also when she said I really hate neuropatients because sometimes it's even like a small headache. You call the doctor. It just depends which doctor is like, oh, yeah, they'll do something about it. But other doctors will go, oh, no, it's just a headache. Or, yeah, like some yeah. doctors are like, why are you calling me about this? Yeah, yeah, especially if you don't have a lot of experience with neuro, it can be really yeah. hard to decide like what's really an issue or just because, you know, patients after any neuro related things, they go in and out of goofiness like all the time. Yeah. Is this actually a mental status change or is there just a little bit off stuff? But it's rude for the doctor to say. Yeah, that's to absolutely that fucked like up. That. Oh, yeah. that was inappropriate on their part. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Especially in front of people who just blame someone for a death. Yeah. That like breaks the trust between nurses and doctors. We cover for the doctors a lot too. And the doctors like, we don't really say anything bad to them yeah. when they screw up. So like, and we catch all their stuff. Like, we're yes. <laughs> we say it nicely to them. Like, hey, do you think you should look at this yeah. instead of this? And then like, we don't say, dude, you're like, what school did you go to? Like, like <laughs> Where'd you get your degree from? from? Yeah, where'd you get your degree from, buddy? Especially around July. Like, (laughs) July, yeah, yeah, you read all your orders like 10 times before you carry anything out. Why July? I don't get it. Every July, the fellows and residents start because then they got to acclimate to the hospital. Got it. Learning curve a lot for like computers. It might be the correct even the correct order just put in incorrectly and you have to like make sure that i'm not i'm not even gonna give it to the computer sometimes i'm just I mean, like i don't even wrong but you just, <laughs> i'm being nice even some sometimes within surgeries there's surgeons that don't know what they're doing and it's like man are you sure you want to do that how about you use this instead and you know you just got to say it nicely but for that doctor to call her out in front of everyone like that that was just wrong yeah i just i feel bad for her i would have cried yep me too <laughs> i would have been speechless especially if the new grad i wouldn't like i'm not gonna talk back to him but i don't know that would be devastating for me yeah i'm a fairly emotional person so as a new grad i'm like 75 percent sure i might have cried <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that would have been rough. You don't seem um, like that type of person. <laughs> I hide it well. No, no, but going back to the July comment, I've noticed doc- the new residents that come in, they're very approachable and they're very, uh, they seek us out more than before. Like, I guess because they seek help and like, hey, am I doing this right? And they, they always ask like nurses what they're doing. Before, like five, seven years ago, it wasn't like you're more cockier back then. Weirdly enough, I think social media and like things like that have kind of bridged a 
we're all human. We can all be mm-hmm. nice. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I think there's just more visibility of each other side of things. Like I, I see pages that on Instagram that are like from residents, and you, or as or they see nursing related pages. And I think there's just more of a feeling of like we're all kind of in this together versus before where it felt more of like a hierarchy, maybe. Like everyone's working as a team now. Yeah. I, I feel like we're more peers now too because like we can relate to the same memes and stuff like that. Like I see them in their workstation. They're just looking at the social media, their IG. And then they go, hey, you see this one? I was like, eh, I saw that one. Yeah. You know, I, I think also maybe some of the format of like the way floors are set up has changed because a lot of the places I've worked recently, the residents are right there on the same unit with me. So sometimes you end up sitting next to them on the computer, you joke around for a little bit. It makes it way more approachable to be like, I need to talk to this person. Yeah, for sure. And like, you've just been talking to them earlier, you know, and you could just page and be like, hey, can you come check this out? Versus before it's like someone you've never seen and they're like in some random computer lab somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I think those kind of things help a lot more than um we realize i mean they're not hanging around on the floors so much as there and i see you oh yeah that's true i guess i, <laughs> I see you, I see you. <laughs> we're like calling them still and like so but but they are more approachable and more overall everyone's very like wanting help too so they'll be like so what do you what do you guys normally do here yeah <laughs> that's really funny though because yeah when you guys are paging them they're hanging out with us in the ICU. yeah <laughs> Yeah, and you we hear them laughing sometimes, and then you're like, I really need somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so next story. I once semi-fast put about 500 micrograms of fentanyl into a five-year-old intubated patient. Ooh. Oof. That's all. I was setting up for an MRI and didn't want to have to waste a bunch of drugs, so I used her already running fentanyl drip syringe, disconnected it from her tubing, and started priming the MRI tubing. Her dad started talking to me about stress and then went on to tell me a story about her and I was trying to therapeutically listen. Well, after 30 seconds or so, I started wondering why I hadn't gotten to the end of the MRI tubing. Come to find out that I had unhooked the wrong syringe and was pushing the fentanyl directly into her. Thank God she was a little under sedated already and could have used a little extra and she did not end up with chest wall rigidity, but I was still mortified. I excused myself calmly and went in the hall where the attending, who happened to be a friend, was sitting. I interrupted her, and I think she saw the look on my face and asked if something was wrong. I told her yes and asked to speak with her privately. I was still watching the patient's vitals as all this was going on. I took her into the room and told her, then we came out and grabbed my charge nurse. We assessed her, and she was fine, just super sedated, but her airway was protected. I had to write a report and everything, and I was down on myself, but the attending told me I was a great nurse, and everyone makes mistakes, and if her kids were in the ICU, she would want me to take care of them. She also told me to be more careful from now on, and I knew I would never make that mistake again. I have never cut corners like that again, and I always double-check my lines. Another IV one. I think it's also distraction with someone talking to her. Yeah. That's always something that can affect anyone. If there's distraction and someone's talking to you and you're trying to listen to them, you might make mistakes. So a lot of times we have family in the room and as we're doing stuff, the family, you just kind of chit chat with the family and the family does that instinctively, you know, and you don't want to seem rude, but yeah, sometimes I want to be like, can you keep quiet while I do this? Cause I can't do two things at once. Hold that thought. Yeah. I'll get back to you. <laughs> this, is a, this is a pediatrics patient, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So like I, I I'm not pediatric, but then I know like the parents are like the second patient like, that they have, and I, I wouldn't like that's why I don't like peds because I was so conscious of the family watching me the whole time, and 
and always asking questions. But in her case, dude, these these stories give me PTSD. You know? <laughs> I mean, like not not like I did it, but like oh, imagining being in their footsteps and like yeah, telling the doctor. But yeah, she owned up to it. She told doctor and comes to her. But definitely, five hundred micrograms of fentanyl is a massive dose. So it's. She said the patient was intubated, though, so that's always kind of like, okay, thank goodness, because yeah, that's yeah. where the real problems come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. if the patient was not intubated, that would be a code right there. Yeah, yeah, guaranteed. For sure. All right, next story. I would never forget, I was a new grad, and one of my coworkers was in the weeds. He asked me to give his patient some morphine. I can't remember if they were there for appendicitis or post-op or what, but she was an older lady. I said, how much do you want me to give? And he said, the whole thing. So I pulled the two milligrams of Dilaudid, scanned it, and I noticed the order was for 0.5, I believe. I skipped past it all because my coworker said, give the whole thing. So later when he realized what I had done, he freaked out and was checking on the patient every hour, getting her vitals and whatnot. She slept really good that night and he never asked, the f- <laughs> and he never asked for a favor from me again. <laughs> first of all, I hope it was a mix-up that she said morphing at first yeah. and then Dilaudid because... <laughs> Yeah. There's a difference. A, a big difference. <laughs> well, that's like giving 20 milligrams of morphine right there. Two milligrams of Dilaudid. Yeah. And the other thing too, is like, if someone tells you to give a med form and they say the whole thing, you yeah. still have to do it within the, the order. The yeah. not It's not the whole vial they mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's so scary. And a callback to the scanning, right? Yeah. The scanning would save you there. The scanning like, tried. Well, did she like override it and then just give a nursing dose, which is not... Yeah, it said I skip, <laughs> it said I skipped past the whole thing. She said when I noticed the order was for 0.5, I skipped past it because my coworker said to give the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's just like no caution. I would question it and go back and ask, hey, are you sure? Because the order only says 0.5. Okay, so I will say this. This is why when you ask anyone to do anything for you, you have to be extremely Care. clear. Like, yes. Don't just trust anyone to do something for you. Like, I have a hard time asking other people to do things for me because you never know unless it's like someone that I truly truly know and like we'll do stuff for them and they will do stuff for me and I'm still clear in my request I don't ask just anybody that's sad though yeah. you should be able to trust your other nursing okay licensed comment. <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know but okay as a staff nurse maybe as a traveler no yeah I mean as a traveler I feel like I was a lot more guarded I'm gonna do my own yeah. And I'll but, help you. Until you prove yourself. Until you prove yourself. Well, as a traveler, no one trusts you no initially, trusts you. which you is prove which is fine. To as a traveler, your first yeah. couple of months there, they give you the patience that like you cannot mess anything up, which sometimes it's like, all right, cool. <laughs> he was like, I'm gonna go sit in my corner. You get the psychosocial patients right there. But Yeah, which I've always done great with like the patient that they're like, Oh, this patient's super unruly, I'm just like, we'll see. <laughs> you do great with crazy people. Yeah. But as a new grad, I think like you uh you don't want to look dumb in front of your coworker and say, "Oh, are you sure it's fine?" Like she didn't like double check with the yeah. thing, and I would see that also. Like I don't want to look dumb in front of them. Can we point out the fact that it doesn't sound like they told anyone and they just checked her vitals every hour? Oh yeah, that too. Did they check? I did not report that. <laughs> I didn't catch that right there. That is true. We could make it a game with some of these. Like, did they report or not? That's number one of not reporting. I'd have to go back and look. Well, you know, the other thing too, a lot of people who wrote in, wrote in with the intentions of having their story shared to help people not make the same mistakes. So I think a lot of the people who wrote in reported, but there's sprinkles here and there of people who like, someone even says like, one of the ones coming up explicitly says like, 
we were super shady and didn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Report guys. Cause that's how policies get changed. You know, safety. Um, yeah. Well, usually if you make a mistake, other people are making it. Like they're usually systemic issues, not yeah. just like yeah. you, you're not stupid. Most likely it's most likely like a problem in the system. Yeah. yeah. But the reason people don't report is fear of retaliation. And like, I've been at places too, where like, if you mess up, you know, you're going to get fired. So I can see why people are like, I'm not going to say anything, but the majority of the places that I've worked at recently and any good hospital, they have something in place to be like, they want you to report things so they can fix them. You're not going to get fired. Yeah, there might be a discipline. Stop the line. Do not, um, like, non-punitive measures. You know, as long as it's systemic, they can fix the system. Like, the hospital in Great Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's one of those things, too, that I think goes hand in hand with uh, a lot of the changes that's just happening in the healthcare culture. Um, all the way down to, like, the whole eating your young thing, like, that's going by the wayside. Hospitals really coming down on people for making errors that are really systemic errors. That's going by the wayside. And I would hope anyone listening to this episode, I hope you feel comfortable if you mess up that like you can you can say something to someone who's in a position of authority so they can get that mistake checked out. If it happens right then and there, it's better to not necessarily report it right then and there, but talk to someone so that they can actually help you out with the situation if it becomes any worse than what it is. Yeah, you don't want to wait till like the patient's going down the drain and being like, I accidentally gave a ton of insulin. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say anything. I knew the cause the whole time. I knew the underlying cause. H and P's, H and P's, guys. Right? That's right. Oh my god. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Next story. This was the last day of my preceptorship for my nursing program prior to graduation. We were paired with a preceptor that works at a hospital where we attend clinicals. My preceptor had a lot of confidence in me and told me I could pass some meds and then check back with them later. Mind you, I'm still a student at this point. I went in to give the patient his medications who was waiting to have dialysis. The patient looked at his meds and actually questioned me and asked me why I was giving him these meds today. I thought the man was just being nutty and just told him his medications were correct and he needed to take them. Shortly after, my preceptor comes to tell me our patient was finally on the schedule to go to dialysis and they would be up shortly to get him. She then asked me if I had held the man's blood pressure medications. I didn't, and this is exactly what the patient had been trying to tell me before. My preceptor assured me that everything would be fine and that I did the right thing because the man technically did not have a set time for dialysis and his blood pressure was also elevated at the time. I knew she was trying to make me feel better, but I was sweating the whole time thinking this man was going to tank and that I would end up not graduating. The man went to dialysis, and I watched my preceptor constantly pull up his vitals throughout dialysis and watch as his blood pressure slowly dropped. It was the longest couple of hours of my life. I knew my preceptor was sweating as well because she could not stop checking his vitals to see how the man was doing. After the longest time, his blood pressure started coming back up. The man returned unharmed and tolerated his dialysis without issues. My final day of my preceptorship, I learned two extremely important things. Blood pressure medication should be held prior to dialysis, and always listen to your patient and verify when they tell you something is wrong. Yikes. Um, <laughs> I think more people do that than than they uh, want to admit that they we we dismiss patients a lot. You know, I wouldn't say a lot. I think it happens more than people want to admit. No, no, no. It does. It does happen. We get task oriented. We're like, we got to give these meds. We got to like unmark it from our MAR. You yeah. Know, like. Like, okay, I got these five minutes to give. I got to give these five. And then, like, you, you just lose focus. But, I mean, usually the students are really, they get independent, but they, like, 
they know that we need to be there with them yeah. at all times. And, and no one's trying to get kicked out of nursing school. So <laughs> no, because like as a student, you only have like one mistake and you're out. Yeah. Everyone's really, uh, has that good stress, but <laughs> I, I, I feel you like that. stuff. So. clearly as a student, there are a lot of, uh, assumptions. The preceptor was assuming the student knew a lot of things that maybe the student wasn't running for. I don't know. I've precepted students before and I would never be like, just because of something like that, you know, especially like the dialysis med one is one that comes up a lot. Like that's a common thing that someone can mess up. Yeah. Yeah. That does happen. Like the blood pressure meds during dialysis. I mean, yeah, it, it didn't occur to me like to like two years into day shift is like, is yeah. Hold the blood pressure meds. Cause like we never started dialysis like in, at night. Yeah. At night. So yeah. It's like, what, uh, yeah. Like that's a, that's a common one. Precepting students though. Like, some of them are independent, but I've noticed a lot of times, like, we're in, the, like, ICU, you check vitals every hour. I hate reminding the nursing students, like, oh, it's vital signs time. Like, it's <laughs> nine o'clock already. You know, it's vital signs time. Like, you yeah. know, it's ten o'clock. You have, like, four hours of no vital signs in their flow sheets. Like, come on, it's critical care. Anyway, so nursing students, always check about it. Wouldn't the preceptor have to be with the student in order for the students to be giving meds? That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's Yeah, so that's not the preceptor. I mean, the student nurse did learn from this. That's the preceptor's bad for doing that. Yeah, I mean, that's why yeah. she was sweating the whole time checking those vitals cuz you Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And do you think that was reported? <laughs> uh, it, it does not sound like uh, it was reported. I mean, technically that was not like a miss. Well, it's not like they didn't follow through an order. And she also said that if the, his blood pressure was elevated, like Yeah. Wow. This is our most clinical podcast yet. Yeah. I was just thinking that this is the first time I've said blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time you said a torvastatin. <laughs> yeah. The doctors at our unit, they're pretty good about calling ahead and saying, hold this. And they're looking at the blood pressure. Like if it's like 160, say, okay, give this one. Yeah. But hold the other one. Mm -hmm. I mean, a big theme in all this stuff is just basically nurses being empowered to speak up about stuff. So like if you work places with dialysis nurses like that, where like they're the ones who will call you and be like, I looked at the MAR. Don't give this. I'm coming up at this time. That's helpful. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. I think day shift, you have the challenge of is dialysis going to be delayed? Like there's a lot of times like do I, if you don't know what time, they're like, oh, we're going to be in this four hour window. We'll be there between 8 and 12. And then they just pop up sometimes. And then it's annoying if you're like me. Like, I don't want to have this red on my mar, but I'm going to leave it there. But then I'm going to have to go back and cancel it. You know, just kind of, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Next story. There was an order for 10 units of humulant insulin sub-Q in the ED. I gave 100 units instead. I realized it right away and went cold. I called a nurse to stay with the patient, told the doctor right away, and then got the charge nurse and then went back to the patient and explained what had happened told him I would be happy to replace myself with another nurse if he felt he couldn't trust me. The doctor ordered Q30 minutes blood sugar checks and he was hyperglycemic already, so his blood sugar went from 450 to 390. The doctor told me I did the right thing afterwards and there was not much I could screw up that he couldn't fix, which I just think is a weird thing. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, well, this sounds like a challenge. <laughs> I had everyone's support because I did the exact right thing after. The thought crossed my mind for a split second not to say anything, but of course I did. If you make a mistake, do the right thing afterwards. Everyone makes mistakes and honesty is a choice. That was left in there just basically because she summed up all the points we're making. Like So much more precise than we've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Next story it is. Uh, <laughs> when I was a new nurse working in the PICU, I was on night six of six, so I was running on empty. 
This was also in the days before EMR and scanning meds at this facility. I was on autopilot, and it was time for my patient's methadone. I got a witness and pulled the dose from the Pixis, wasted it, and walked into the room to give it. About 30 seconds after I flushed it down the NG tube, I realized it was the wrong room. I had walked into my other patient's room and given the methadone instead. I got the charge nurse, and I told her what happened, and we told the doc. Luckily, everyone didn't freak out too much, and everything was fine. The patient that got the dose seemed to appreciate it too. <laughs> to, to this day, this is the reason that I don't do more than four shifts in a row. Oh gosh! I've never worked six in a row. That sounds insane. It is. I've worked it once or twice. I've done four, maybe five, when I was like really trying to save up for something. It isn't safe. Yeah. I've only done four. Four twelve-hour shifts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. On a, I on, hate doing three in a row. Yeah. That's like one of my, if I look at a schedule, like why did it put me three in a row? I started liking threes just because I was trying to have those like days off in a row. But when that third day rolls up and I'm like waking up to come in, I'm already like, oh, so I can't imagine doing three more after that. That's just yeah, for sure. like when you do three, there's nothing to look forward to. So we look forward to the <laughs> countdown. It's like day one. Okay. I, I, tomorrow I got to do this again. Day two, I do this again. And then by the third day, you're like, okay, there's nothing to look forward to for three days. That's what I feel. Yeah. I actually love working. And at the last center that I worked at or the last company I used to work for, it was supposed to be eight hour shifts, but I would actually work 12 to 14 hours a day. And I would do it five days a week. And I really liked it. You just need like four shots of, four shots of a session. <laughs> you're good. Yikes. No. If I start drinking too much coffee too, I start getting all jittery. Yeah, by the, same. Yeah. Like I don't get more awake. I just get more like shaky. I guess I'm, I'm not young, but I still like working. I probably would do that. And I can still work effectively and proficiently even running on like a little amount of sleep. Yikes. I, I know yeah. there are people like you. Like, I, I know them. I just... I'm not one. Yeah. My mom and dad were both ICU nurses who immigrated here. Mm-hmm. And they had two full-time jobs, like six days a week. Holy crap. And they, my dad, you know, like, when I first started working, he was like, you're the laziest person I know. You don't work any overtime. <laughs> I feel so bad, like, because, like, you know, they, they actually met in Mississippi in the 70s, and they had to work two jobs to provide everything for me. No, man, I know what you mean, though, because, like, there's times that, like, I just, I literally feel like a watered-down version of, like, my dad. When they tell you stories about what... Yeah, I'm just like, ooh, I don't, I just didn't, I didn't get that. I think I'm a fairly hard worker, but then, like, I hear some of their stories, and I'm just like, okay, you have to be exaggerating. I'm a second-generation immigrant. I feel more spoiled than what they went through, so... I'm first-generation, but I came here when I was little. Like, I was, like, eight so like i i know i'm definitely more spoiled <laughs> like but that's what they wanted yeah and then some, yeah. that's what i say to him too i'm like what are you talking about you did this like it was you this made- is your plan <laughs> <laughs> you did this to me. i know i know <laughs> you wanted me to be like this all right next story i was a little over a year into my nursing career and working nights on a trauma step-down unit i had a patient who was in his 70s and had just had an emergency hernia surgery I had become pretty comfortable taking care of post-abdominal surgery patients since that's the majority of what I did my first year of nursing. His case seemed pretty standard until a couple of hours into my shift. I noticed he was having increased work of breathing, but when I asked him if he felt it, he denied it and said he was fine. His stats were okay, but I was concerned, so I reached out to the resident on nights. She came to see him, but brushed it off since his stats were good. He progressively got worse. I kept asking him how he felt, but he continued to deny feeling poorly in any way and was getting annoyed that I kept checking on him. 
I just want to sleep, he would tell me. He started to have bright red blood in his urine, and his BP dropped all of a sudden. I kept bugging the resident to come see him, but she just ordered a bolus and checked on him again when she had a chance. I was in his room every 15 minutes to make sure he was okay. I told my coworkers, I feel like this dude is going to die on me. 20 minutes after the resident went in to see him, I walked to him and found him lifeless. He was DNR, so there was nothing I could do. It was my first death as a nurse, and it rattled me because I felt it in my gut that he wasn't okay, and I didn't push hard enough for him to get the care he needed. Since then, I fight hard to get studies or scans done whenever I feel something is off, even if the clinical data doesn't quite show it yet. I hate that learning that lesson came from this man losing his life, but I know I will do everything in my power to never let that happen again. That's a very relatable uh, story um, that she does. Um, it's because, like, you know, like nursing is, what's nursing? It's, it's just, it's your, you get paid on your, or it's your assessment, basically, right? Yeah. Assessment and, and letting the doctors know. So she has the good assessment skills. She just needs to be more vocal, but then she'll get that in time. But she did a good job of bugging the doctor. Cause, like, that's what you do. Like, yeah. urine alpha, blood, like, you know, blood pressure. Like, you hit those those systems and then it tells you like i gotta let the doctor know because it's what you know the doctor needs to know this we need to do intervention on it yeah i agree she needed to be a little bit more vocal especially when you don't have any vitals or like clinical data to back you up so this man's bleeding into his catheter you know like just a gut feeling yeah and we've mm -hmm. if you work long enough bedside you're gonna have one of those situations where like something's wrong but i don't know what it is yeah and like the vitals seem fine but like something's definitely happening and hopefully it doesn't end the way this story ends where like the person actually passes but like that's a real thing like people joke about it all the time about like that nurse sense your intuition like, trust it this is what i see with nurses who have been working on a certain unit for like ever right with the same doctors is that like they can make that call and be like, this person looks off, even if the vitals all look the same and, and they take him seriously, you know, because they know they know their mm -hmm. stuff. But when you're yeah. new and you don't have that level of rapport with the resident yet or the doctor, like it's hard to get them to keep coming up yeah. from the call room to come look at your patient who keeps saying he's fine, you know? Yeah, it's hard, especially when you have that stubborn old man patient too, who's going to deny being in any need of help whatsoever. I had a similar situation and I said something was wrong. So I got the PA and he like patted me on the head. He's like, it's okay, new nurse. You're just anxious because he just came from ICU. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like something's wrong. And he ended up like coding later that night. We had to send him back up to ICU and get him like an emergency chest. Tube. Yeah. And I always think about my parents when I hear stories like that because I know my parents are like very stubborn people who like would be like, I'm fine. And they don't want to accept help. That's exactly like my dad. Yeah, same. My first code that ever happened was uh, when I got report, the nurse I got report from was this RT spiritual nurse. Type thing. She was younger, but the first thing she told me to me is this person's gonna code tonight. I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> wait, wait, what do you mean? Are like a spiritual? <laughs> oh, uh, like a medium? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was like very like she, like you know crystals and stuff like that. Like you know, she instead of a stethoscope, I mean, she had a crystal on her neck. She's she like, just, this year. I mean, she's an artist. She would have art gallery openings in Venice. Her art would be, you know, art like new artist gallery. That's cool. Yeah. The first thing she says to me is like, "I don't, I don't have a really bad feeling about this guy. This guy's gonna coach." I mean, in my head, I, I, I saw the vital signs. It was normal and everything. Like it was one fifty, no drips, no nothing. And then the guy ended up coding that guy. But, yeah. I've been watching this show on Hulu for the last couple of weeks that's all about all this like paranormal activity stuff. And they were talking about how like just energies and all. They always harp about like even ghosts and stuff in hospitals. And so when people like that working bets, that always freak me out when they like start saying things like that. Cause I'm just like, stop, man. I, <laughs> like, 
Oh yeah, man, your story. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, story you're... Did you have that ghost emoji there? Oh, I love those uh, those stories. The ghost emoji right next to them. Those are always a favorite, but I, those are harder for me because I am a little chicken shit with some of that stuff, and like a lot. <laughs> well. A lot of times during the day, I, I've been busier than I used to be. And so I'll be doing stuff during the day. And then at nighttime is when I'm going through messages and screenshotting things. And and you, I don't want to be reading ghost stories at night. Like that's, <laughs> I live alone. Like Oscar's not going to do anything. Like it's just, Aww. and it's always peds nurses that have the craziest stories. Oh yeah. I've seen that in your stories. Yeah. One of them recently freaked me out. There was one that they sent me a picture of, oh, like, I try, I'm going to repost that one this week. But Keep your eye out. Yeah. All right. Next story. Um, I was taking care of a pretty sick, unstable patient in the progressive care unit I worked on. She recently failed a swallow eval due to being hypercarbonic and lethargic. So she had a Dobhoff. She also happened to have a guillotine BKA, which required daily dressing changes with a bleach-based solutions, Dakins, I think, that had to be mixed by pharmacy. Can you guess where this is going yet? I started my assessment on the patient with no concerns or anxieties. I actually like taking care of complex, heavy patients, and I was irrigating the Dobhoff and checking for placement, no problem, until I looked back at the setup of the Dobhoff supplies and saw another bottle of sterile water for irrigation that I hadn't used. So what had I used? I checked the bottles of the solution and I irrigated the Dobhoff which sure enough, the reconstituted bleach mixture meant for the wet to dry dressing for the amputated wound. I made my patient ingest bleach. I totally freaked out. My heart dropped into my descending colon. I dreaded to tell my charge nurse, even worse, call the MD and tell him about the terrible mistake I had made. My mistake happened because there was only one label on the Dakin's wound solution. It was facing the wall, so I couldn't see it on the MAR sticker that stated it was for wound care and it was the same kind of container that the sterile water comes in. Luckily, the patient had a Dobhoff, so it spared her esophagus of any irritation. Also, poison control, yep, I had to call poison control, stated that the acidity of the stomach would neutralize the bleach solution. The patient ended up being okay, but in that moment after my mistake, I could not believe how bad I had fucked up to do something like that when I'm supposed to be healing this patient. I thought for sure I'd be fired. The MD was really chill about it after I called poison control and determined that the patient had not been seriously harmed. When I explained the situation to the MD, he even blamed pharmacy for not labeling the wound solution. Pharmacy was petty and sent me up a new bottle for the wound solution with approximately 37 bright neon stickers on the bottle that stated, not for irrigation. I <laughs> okay. <laughs> pharmacy doesn't play. Uh, icing on the cake, I was orienting a new nurse that day. Oh, this is nice. Uh, love your podcast for the work you do, fostering a sense of solidarity in the nursing community. That's why I felt comfortable sharing my most vulnerable story. Hopefully it will make it so others realize that they can fuck up and still be a good nurse. Labeling is important. I'm not sure how it works at hospitals, but at um, the place I work at, we reconstitute everything and mix meds. Mm -hmm. um, but labeling is key so that you don't mix up the medications. Yeah. So unfortunate. That kind of reminds me of, I read on the news, something along the lines of irrigation. They accidentally poured formalin onto the back table for irrigation for surgery and use that to irrigate the abdomen. 
and the patient ended up dying because the formalin basically it's bad for you. Like you can't touch the formula and you can't, I mean, but couldn't you smell it? Like the bleach. Especially if you're doing a dressing change on a wound that's already had stuff on it. Everything in the room has that smell. That's like, true. That's true. It's not like something that's like super noticeable right away. And being that the containers are really similar, mm-hmm. she was drawing it up and putting it in the Dobhoff thing. So it's going to be like, you're just like using that piston thing and you're just kind of like doing your stuff and then you're like, oh crap. Oh, I can feel that anxiety at that moment being like, especially bleach yeah. when i when i was reading the story and before i got to the end i was just like so this patient died like that was what i was thinking in my head the real issue with ingesting bleach is apparently just on the way down to your stomach i was thinking of a, of a covid joke but then uh that's on topic right now but i don't want to get to that <laughs> but, <laughs> definitely say it. good for her she, she was able to tell you know i mean i, I know it's like a broken record but yeah she was able to own up to her, her mistake but this shit actually have a different syringe that doesn't fit on oh yeah, yeah. like a like it's a piston syringe that doesn't fit on the dobha i mean it's really hard to, to modify syringes but completely different container too you don't want any of that stuff to look similar you know yeah. it was a system error it's not your fault it was a system error yeah. all right woody art thank you guys for being on i appreciate it i know it takes a lot of time and uh i appreciate you taking that time out of your day to chat with us it was definitely a good time chatting with both of you guys really fun and i hope we can do it again another time i'm not gonna i'm gonna break the facade now all right they're serious they're cool exterior i'm just gonna, um, <laughs> Evie, thanks for having me on, dude. I've told, I miss you so much, man. Come back to work for us. When you, yeah, when you asked me about, like, to come on and the topic was mistakes, I was like, why did you choose money <laughs> for a mistake? Because I've been a model of profession with you. But whatever, it's all good. But I really, no, seriously, but really appreciate you um, getting me on this. And it was fun. And thank you, Woody. Met a friend for life. Aw, it was nice meeting you, Art. And Emily. Thank you for having me also. Nice to meet you. And Brandon. And Brandon, dude. Brandon's my best friend. to make me sound good. Brandon's the most important person to have the niceties and polite. <laughs> he can make you say anything. <laughs> yeah. You could, uh... You could change my key to the A or a lot of shit. I mean, I'm like, anyway, um, <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Peace out, guys.